Welcome to Getting Goosebumps, The Power of Storytelling, the weekly podcast helping you to craft stories that inspire, entertain, and convince. Each week, listen to leading industry experts, from top marketers and CEOs, to producers and writers from the entertainment industry. Learn how to elevate your brand message and spare your audience into action. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps. I'm your host, Brian Adams, and this week I welcome back Robert McKee. Robert is our first returning guest ever on this this series, and I'm delighted he's joining us. Um, Robert is the most sought-after screenwriting and story lecturer in the world. He's taught over 60 Academy Award winners to date, and he's also plying his trade in the world of business, teaching businesses how to tell a better story to grow and succeed in the business world. This episode from Business entertainment, and even politics, we look at the mechanics of a great story. So I always enjoy speaking to Robert. We have a great conversation, so I really hope you enjoy listening as much as I have talking to Robert this week. If you do enjoy it, you might want to listen to his previous recorded uh, episode earlier on in the series and give me feedback on that as well. Okay, welcome back everybody for another episode of uh, of Getting Goosebumps. Um, I'm really excited this week, actually, and uh, I'm honoured to have a returning guest, the first person that's come back as a guest, um, Robert McKee. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for joining me again. Oh, it's my pleasure, as uh, as always. Oh, that, I'm, I'm, before we jump into um, the many questions I've got for you, Robert, as well, it's, I think it's... Uh, it's quite topical. I thought it'd be quite interesting. Um, I've been following the U.S. elections, and I'm curious, uh, from a storytelling point of view, what do you make of um, of it all uh, so far? Well, I, I have to tell you that um, the emotions are running very high here, as they as they must be uh, elsewhere in the world, uh, and there's a lot of fear. Um, and the um, the, the rise of uh, Donald Trump has, um, uh, along with uh, the, the incredible lack of uh, uh, talent and leadership in the Republican Party, um, has caused um, a lot of um, a lot of trepidation, and so people are really frightened. Um, and so the story here is a, is a huge, you know, uh, question mark. Uh, it's a hypothetical story, of course, uh, <clears throat> which is. Um, if Trump becomes president, um, you know, what will happen to America? And um, people are, uh, there's no answer to that question. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a story with a tremendous amount of suspense. It's almost a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's, a, it's, a, it's nightmarish uh, for a lot of us. And um, Hillary's story is... Um, um, you know, it is a is a kind of um, you know trust your mom story. Uh-huh. Her backstory is full of experience and full of scandal, um, and uh, which makes her you know vulnerable. And so she's a, a a kind of mother figure for many people. When we feel that you know that it, it's it, have you seen Michael Moore's um, film uh, Where to Invade Next? I've not seen that one. I've seen some of his stuff before that. It's brilliant, and uh, it really is. It's the best he ever he's ever done, and it, it's um, and in it there's a theme 
um, which is it's time for women to take over. <laughs> uh, that uh, that men have made such a mess of things uh, that we need, and uh, and so uh, I think that's Hillary's story. It's hard to, uh, hard to I, argue uh, with, I guess. <laughs> we, you know, that when you look across the, uh, uh, you you have what is essentially a kind of um, either an abusive father or an absentee father. You need this sort of <laughs> a single parent mother uh, <clears throat> who's um, who's going to uh, protect her family, and, and so it's a kind of um, it's a it's a serious drama of a dysfunctional family, <laughs> and the only one who can save us is mom. <laughs> mom's got her own problems, so uh, it's uh, it's um, yeah. That's probably the best analogy I could come up with. It's it's a it's a very serious domestic drama with a <clears throat> an abusive father and and um, uh, and a uh, a mother, strong mother, hopefully who will put things straight. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you make these analogies uh, straight away. You see real life and put it in a box, you know, that's sort of categorized in, you know, TV and film. And uh, before we started there, you, you, you were making analogies of the previous. Well, I, was just, I was just improvising because I, I, mean, I haven't given it any thought to tell you the <laughs> truth. I, 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 we're all in shock. Yeah, I guess so. But the thing we're is, not, it's we're not, not sitting down here coolly thinking, hmm, what analogy could I apply? I mean, we're all in shock, and um, I, I, you know how in great storytelling, <clears throat> when you have a reveal, when you suddenly, you know, she's my sister and my daughter, you know, from Chinatown, my father and I, you remember that great moment? Um, or, you know, in, in, in Star Wars, you can't kill me, Luke, I'm your father. <laughs> yeah. And you have these great reveals, right? The effect is to send the mind of the audience back and uh, in, in, a, in a moment of retrospection in which you reconfigure reality and you suddenly go, oh, of course Darth's his father. Of course Evelyn and her father had incest. And you get this sudden insight into what's really going on throughout the been going on throughout the story that suddenly this reveal makes you reconfigure and you go, oh, my God, and click, 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 everything that was hidden is suddenly put in place, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. This election has caused that. We, Donald Trump gets up and makes these horrible, you know, racist remarks. Um and suddenly, people are cheering, and you and you're shocked, and you and there's a sudden reveal, and the reveal is that the Republican Party has always made its living on the bigot vote. Since you suddenly realize, going back since Nixon and Nixon's Southern strategy. You realize that the difference that has put Republicans in office has been that they command the bigot vote. And we pretended for the longest time that bigotry was sort of on the, on the wane and that Americans were not, you know, that kind of racist, bigoted yeah. thing had just, you know, sort of calmed down and uh, we're all looking forward to the 21st century of civil life. And suddenly... You get a rush, and you realize, 
it was always there. It was always bigger than you ex than you ever knew, and and this, this half of the Republican voters flocked to to, to uh, Trump because deep down inside they are bigots. But don't you think also, um, Robert, that because Donald Trump, you know, love him or, or hate him. Uh, he has a way about him. He has a certain, I don't know whether charisma is the right word, um, but he has a, a, a certain something on stage that um, he manages to incite um, and elicit emotion from his audience. He does tell stories, whether they don't add up and they're fairy tales or, or what is, a, is another thing. But isn't it, isn't, it a really good, isn't it a really great example of if you're a great storyteller, you can... You can persuade and manipulate an audience, even if there's nothing behind your story. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, you can bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you know, <clears throat> um, storytelling offers the possibility of of telling the truth in a very insightful way, mm. unless you want to lie, and uh, <clears throat> and then it becomes propaganda, becomes uh, BS, and uh, and so he's a great BSer at. <clears throat> you know, and people that are following him, I think they know he's a BSer. But um, he's an authoritative figure, and the people who follow him, no matter how crude they may seem, are frightened, uh, weak people who need an authority figure. And somebody like Kennedy who says, you know, don't ask what the country can do for you, ask what you can do for the country, you know, puts that responsibility on the citizen and says, it's your life, you have to, you know, live it well and uh, contribute to society. And these people are in a, in a very weak position. They don't, they don't feel that they can make their own life sufficiently. They need an authority that will do it for them. And that's what he's projecting. And so, um, he appeals to the vulnerability and the weakness that people uh, feel. And, of course, when people feel weak, they express it with anger. And uh, <clears throat> so you got this angry, vulnerable group of people who are looking for uh, a dictator, an authority figure to, that will, um, you know, get the trains to run on time. And that's the, that's the you know, image he projects. Um, so, he you know, he does not... For people like me, of course, we just find him repugnant. Absolutely, but it's terrifying that what he, what he, you know, despite that there isn't much sense behind what he's saying, the way he delivers it and how he wraps that up in a good story, it's it's ter it's terrifying. Like you said, it's terrifying the uh, response that he's uh, able to get. You know, I, I spent my life, much of my life, on the golf course, and I have played golf with these guys. He reminds me very much of a certain kind of businessman that I have, unfortunately, uh, shared a number of horses with. Um, and I've seen this type before. You know, they, they love to, they, they play golf. It's the kind of guy who plays golf with a bottle of beer in his hands. Um, and uh, they love gamesmanship. They love to taunt their opponents try to get you off your game with uh, with that with that kind of stuff. And so um, I've, I've seen this guy many, many times in many, many guises, uh, many, many golf courses. And, um, you know, once I met them, I wouldn't play with them again. But I know the type. 
in their place, they're not much of a threat to people, but um, it would given a, enough power, they can really be dangerous. Yeah, yeah, you don't get much more powerful than the American presidency, so. <laughs> no, <laughs> Pretty no. Well. as I said, we're all scared. Yeah. Yeah, we're all scared, and uh, we keep adding up the uh, pollings and trying to figure out, you know, <clears throat> you know, can Hillary lose? Well, I, I don't think so, but... Um... Well, we just got to sort of wait and see. But anyway, that's that's yeah. enough of uh, Darth yeah, Vader yeah. and Donald Trump. <laughs> so let's uh, let's focus a little bit I, more. But, back but, but may I just offer my apologies to the world up <laughs> through you? I'm very sorry about this. If I could do anything about it, I would. I promise you. But and I can understand you're you're being upset. We're all upset, and um, you know, and just take a deep breath, and it'll be okay. Brilliant, perfect. Well, apology accepted, but we're still waiting with uh, bated breath. Now, let's focus a little bit more on you, Robert, um, and leave the US for a second. When are you, you're coming back to the UK soon, aren't you? Tell us a little bit about um, your your next visit, because I want to dig into um, your your Storynomics course and the and the aspects of content marketing. I want to get around that. But so, when are you, when are you here next? Uh, be here in London on May the third, and I'm really looking. Uh, yeah, it's a Tuesday, May the 3rd, and this will be the full day, the 9 to 5, uh, ver- uh, <clears throat> telling of um, what we call Storynomics, which is, of course, the uh, the link between um, uh, story and um, and business success. And um, I, I look at uh, the use of story in two directions, outward into the world in terms of all the dim- dimensions of marketing, and then inward into the company in all dimensions of um, of leadership and team building and so forth. Um, and so it's it's a terrific day. And I think one of the, the most most important aspects of that day is that I I I take great care to make absolutely clear what a story is. Because there's a lot of confusion in the business world, this the word "story" is a buzzword, as you know, and and um, and there's a lot of you know, talk about it, a lot of uh, really mindless books have been written about it, and they and they never ever get around to defining what a story is. And one of the great dif- difficulties in business is helping business marketers, especially or leaders. Set, differentiate between narrative and story. And often these words are used synonymously, but it's a categorical error to think like that. And this will get a business person in, you know, in, in trouble. They will fail if they don't know the difference. Uh, because all stories are narratives. But not all narratives are stories. And narratives are soft and weak, and um, they, they do not hold, grip attention. They don't hold attention. They do not move people to, um, to action. And so if you think you're telling a story, but it's really just a narrative of and then and then and then and then and then, you, you know, you, your, your work will not be successful. So it's very important that it be clear, and I, I do everything I can and to make it really clear exactly what a story is so that it can be used well. 
Yeah, and it, it sounds it sounds obvious and basic, but actually it's not. And I've I've done this course, Robert. I've sat uh, and I've listened to you, and I've I've written copious notes. I've, I laid, nearly filled out a whole notebook actually. And uh, the interesting thing for me, one of the interesting things that because um, obviously we've talked about this last time you're on on the show, but what it, what we didn't get into is uh, the most the, the specifics of uh, of the content marketing aspect. And uh, I don't want you to take offence here, Robert, but I was sat there thinking. Um, Wow, you know, I've I've read a lot of books. I've I'm, you know I'm in content marketing. I'm a mar- content marketing professional, and um, you know there you are on the stage. You've been doing this for you know thirty odd years, and you you were talking about content marketing in a different way. Uh, and again, you know, I'll stress. I hope this <laughs> this doesn't come across as a um, um, you know a, you, you'd be offended, but I didn't expect somebody like yourself. Um, to be so contemporary with um, content marketing strategy, you know, because it's a digital world, it's fast-paced, there's lots of um, tactics and channels and all this stuff to keep. But, you know, it struck me, hang on, we've gone full circle. What we need to understand here are the basic principles of quality content. And if we don't get the story right, the rest is irrelevant, right? So talk, talk to me about the content marketing value that you bring on this day, because that's, that's what I found fascinating. Well, it, it didn't take much I mean, uh, research of any kind on my part to, to realize that advertising is failing. Yeah, absolutely. Fast. Um, and that the, the millennials and coming behind them, the Generation Z uh, people um, uh, hate advertising. They laugh at it, uh, and um, and they've done everything possible to um, to escape it. Mm-hmm. And so they have ad blockers, and um, and you know they don't watch TV. I mean, somebody did a study recently that they said that over the last what five years. Um, the amount of TV watched by millennials had dropped about a third. Yeah. They discovered that the amount of TV watched by the Generation Z had not changed because Generation Z does not watch TV. <laughs> yeah. Period. <clears throat> and so um, realizing that advertising, which was the for a hundred years, they tried and true you know, strong arm of marketing along with packaging and other aspects. But but that the way you um, found customers and retained them was um, ads and commercials on TV especially. Um, and that this is all going <clears throat> by the wayside. Um, what's next? What's left? And what, you, you know, the, the, the obvious choice then was content marketing. You have to, um, every business has got a website. When people do searches and they find your website, you know, what do they do when they get there? And um, the, the smart thing to do is to give that that potential customer a gift. You give them a gift, they walk in the store. And the gift is a wonderfully told story uh, that contains some real insight and um, uh, uh, knowledge that they would love to have and um, um hooks them and holds them and rewards them with, and this is, um, this is the truth about that. And, um, that satisfaction from that gift of storytelling, uh, and the reward of them experiencing an emotion and, uh, 
gaining an insight into life they didn't have before. Um, now you've got a prospect that you can turn into a customer because they're they're going to move on into your website to see what else. Um, and that that method of of gaining interest and holding it, rewarding it with a freebie um, works. Uh, if, if people come to your website and you start selling them immediately with the traditional old push marketing techniques of bragging and promising. We were talking earlier about Donald Trump. This is, this is Donald Trump. Right? <laughs> he brags, I'm the best, I'm the biggest, I'm the, you know, and he promises, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, don't worry, I'm going to do it. Okay? Bragging and promising are the twin tactics of advertising. They don't do it necessarily in the in the in the ugly voice of Donald Trump, but it's still we're the biggest, we're the newest, we're the shiniest, we're the best. We'll do this for you, we'll do that for you. Trust us. If you if people come on your website and that is what you hit them with, they're going to vanish faster than they can click a button. And so you can't, you know. <clears throat> the, the young people see through this so fast. Um, these young people are the Bernie Sanders people. <laughs> I was going to say, as long as they're not Republicans, then actually they might buy into it really quickly. The Sanders people, they, you know, <laughs> uh, and so um, they, they're very, you know, they're, they're skeptical, if not cynical, about, um, about selling. So you cannot sell these people. You cannot argue your way into a sale with sales with these people. You have to, um, as I said, give them a gift. Uh, don't go into the bragging. Simply present uh, your service that, that, you're, that you have on offer or your product or both and, um, uh, you know, and, and, and do it in the most easy going, you know, not indifferent, but but um, but um, the, in the voice that these people will understand, and if possible, tell the story always from um, their point of view. Yeah, and, and you've got a you've got a formula for this, haven't you? I, I, I doubt we've got time to go through that in uh, in detail. And actually, it's probably something that you need to see you you actually do, uh, and you know, in time to digest. But there's quite a lot of science in terms of how you step by step go through. Um, getting somebody's attention, uh, creating the sufficient intrigue and relevance and empathy, that kind of stuff, but ending with insight sufficient to get a, a powerful call to action, right? So this is, you know, this isn't just story for entertainment. You've managed to create a, a scientific formula almost, doesn't it? You know, it looked like a physics paper that you gave out in the morning, actually. I was like, what well, the hell is this? It's, 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 it's as old as Aristotle. <laughs> And, but in the last 30, 40 years, ne uh, neuroscience indeed is the science of how the mind works. And what neuroscientists have discovered, of course, is that the, the, the mind is a story-making machine yeah. that responds to change. And, and, it, and it, it's a genetic system. That's, it's like there's a gene in every human being for language. Right. Yep. There's a gene for grammar, and the, the the mind is genetically set up to build 
to speak in language and to and to and, and to build that language in a certain a, a systematic way. The mind, long before it had that gene, had the gene for story, which is the gene to take in life, uh, discard 99.9% of it, concentrate on moments of change, and assemble it, cause and effect, into a meaningful whole in order to make sense out of reality. And science has understood this structure uh, clearly, uh, it was always there, as I said, all the great storytellers since Homer understood this, but now science has been able to um, take it apart. And and so when you say it's scientific, it damn right it is. It is based upon 2,500 years of Aristotle, who was the first great scientist who approached story the same way he approached biology. Yeah, I mean... He said, he said what are the parts... And what are the relationships between these parts? And that was the first scientific study of story in the poetics. And today now, it's very sophisticated. Uh, absolutely. Now, I was going to save this till a little bit later on, uh, Robert, but it seems uh, probably the right time to introduce this now. And potentially uh, quite controversial as well. So I've got to be careful because... Um, there's a number of story consultants that I've spoke to. Some of them have been on the show and um, been fascinating to talk to. But they hang their hat around Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey. And I know you don't necessarily agree with that. Oh, that is a categorical error. <laughs> okay. And yet the error is this. Um, <clears throat> it is the mistaking of the part for the whole. The hero's journey is a is a pattern of 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 myth, um, and which is fine, and that myths. I mean, since the you know the Odyssey, etc. You know, myths uh, throughout the world have this pattern of leaving the home, going into a, a, the the desert world, then the green world, and losing consciousness, being revived, and so forth. Uh, these are the positive-negative, positive-negative, positive-negative dynamics that have structured that, that story in cultures everywhere in the world. But myth is a, um, uh, a subgenre, so to speak. The mass is story. The whole is story. Myth is a part of that whole. Because there are many, many, many other kinds of genres um, of story. For one thing, for example, there's comedy. Mm -hmm. The hero's journey, politically, is very conservative. The hero's journey basically says the world is as it should be. It's your job to fit in. Comedy says the world is, is a disaster and it's our job to ridicule that and hope to change it. And so a great amount of storytelling in the world is jokes and comedy of all kinds, which has got nothing to do with the hero myth. Therefore, to understand story, you have to understand it at a universal level that would include family dramas, comedies, I mean, stories of all kinds, uh, and on the way, you know, the hero's myth, 
okay the the action story and so this is the this is the problem if you think that all stories have to take the form of a hero's journey you are excluding 95% of all the other stories in the world but um wouldn't wouldn't you agree that um if you break joseph campbell's hero's journey down into its most basic parts it's um it's basically a three act structure where everything's fine then there is change, and then there's a, a resolution. Do you think that's why so many consultants map that to, to business and case studies and that kind of thing? They do it because they don't understand story. Wow, that's a, only somebody who's been teaching story for 30 years can say that. With they such don't confidence. fundamentally understand story. What they have is a model of story. Uh-huh. The hero's journey is a model of story. I guess it's robust, though. Is it, you know, it's it's I, from your point of view, it's like look, that is one solution of which there are many. Um, but do you think it's it's quite easy to get your head around and understand? And it, yeah, it, it simplifies things. But then you see the motifs of the hero's myth, if you follow them literally mm-hmm. or closely, will so limit the imagination of the business storyteller that that. You will be you'll be strapped um, um, uh, with hands behind your back, and you won't be able to really creatively use the. It's, it's like saying, um, "See, there's a world of music, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it's like saying the the um, the concerto um, is music, right? Uh-huh. And let us follow the concerto form in everything we do." But jazz is music. Rock and roll is music. I mean, you know, there's folk, there's all kinds of music. And if you always just simply say, well, the concerto form is is easy to understand and therefore we will follow that, you exclude all the other variations of what could be story. That's a fantastic analogy. That the hero's journey isn't a story. It's just, it's one story, one version of the art. What you really want to, as a, what you want to think about, is at the level of music. Think of story as an art form, like music is an art form, and uh, <clears throat> painting is an art form. And there's abstract painting and realistic painting and all kinds of right. And there's all kinds of music and there's all kinds of stories. And so, if you understand story fundamentally at the essential form, you'll see that that form is in the hero's journey, but that form is in all the other varieties of story, and you you don't want to be uh, limited to that, especially, I mean, the hero's journey is a massive thing. Most business stories, what I call the purpose-told story, where you, you it's not there for entertainment, it entertains as a side effect, but it's there to cause the consumer to act. Yeah, absolutely. Those stories are brief. They have maybe one or two turning points because you, you, you've got to do it very quickly. Uh-huh. So um, uh, uh, if, you, if you have something as elaborate as the hero's journey, how in the world in a turning point or two are you going to hook the attention of somebody Make them realize, wow, that's just like my life. Yes, I should do that because it'll benefit my life. And you have to do that in a, in 
you know, as I said, inside a minute. And and so when you, the hero's journey is a terrible metaphor for the story, because for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that it's massive. And by the way, people are not heroic. People have problems like you know dry skin. I mean, you understand? They're not heroic. I mean that's. That's that's such a it's a that's such a uh, you know uh, it's a reach right yeah it's terrible reach and it's <laughs> insulting to people you know you know so you know you should talk to your customers like human beings saying look you know you've got this problem and uh, dramatize that problem with a turning point or two and said and lead them to say and, and here's the here's the solution to your problem. Um, and do it in such a way that they that they pick that off the shelf the next time. <clears throat> They're looking for that kind of product or whatever. Um, and so the, the the hero's journey is a crutch. The people who really don't understand story use because it, they think it's the model for the all-purpose story, and it's not. It's a it's a model for an elaborate subgenre of the great art form called story, and to um, to lean on that is simply means that you didn't bother to do your homework. You didn't bother to really figure out what the hell story is. Uh, and somebody handed you uh, a template and you, and you just swallowed it. Well, I think, I think your analogy of um, the musician and the artist certainly it really does sort of uh, make the point beautifully, Robert. I guess um, some of the story consultants that, that I've, I've met over the um, certainly the last 12 months. I think one thing that we all agree on is the average marketer or the average business, they, they haven't woken up to the principle of story at all. So almost like the Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey, it's like step one, uh, paint by numbers, just to get you thinking um, in, in story. Because one thing you say is, look, you know, you need to, you need to learn to think in story. That's that's where you need to begin, right? Um, yes. So so you know maybe that's just one very blunt. Well, I, I, I also think it's very important for business people to learn to think in terms of story in reality. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And if you look at great leaders again, yeah, great leaders typically can think in story and and illustrate reality or a future reality that they want people to buy in. Yeah, this, is, this is why in my teaching I don't use myths, I don't use fairy tales, I don't use legends, I don't use anything from the past. Yeah. I, I yes, all of these are wonderful examples of the you know the form, but the business story is a fact-based, realistic, present tense, today telling in order to get motivate people. Uh, to consider your your service or your product in a favorable light, yeah. and yeah. Uh, calling upon myths and legends and all of that is academic BS, and I I, I can't be a part of that <laughs> because I know it's it, what what will happen is that you know the the marketer will will start to work with his team and then try to figure out a story, and that when they appeal to the um, you know to these myths and legends and stories from history or fantasy or whatever, they'll, 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 they'll be paralyzed. So you think it's kind of like, um, you know, if, if you only carry a hammer 
every problem starts to look like a nail. Like kind of. a nail. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, I mean, yeah. I've, I'm obviously, I've got the benefit of having done your course. And I must say, going into it, given your sort of um, your um, track record and sort of history from TV and, and film, I was expecting... I was expecting what you had to teach to be a little bit more academic and perhaps on that side of the fence, to be honest. But um, but it certainly wasn't. You got to the point, and we talked last time about um, Nike, just do it, you know, sort of you know, stories yeah. with brevity and getting get to the point. If you had to articulate the, the specific um, outcomes, what you, what you walk away from your course, so story in business, how, how, would you, how would you sum it up just to help somebody who's listening think, how is somebody who teaches story and script writing has got a track record in, in movies and, and TV going to add value to my, to my business? Well, I don't, um, as, as you know, I don't use um, uh, movies and TV examples. I think that's, right. out of, that's, out of, that's part of what I won't do, as I said. Yep. Um, uh, this, the, the business story is a practical, purpose-told use of the storytelling form in order to communicate the here and now to people. And if I said it's like, you know, the great you know, courtroom drama, uh, the verdict in which you should, and I, whatever, when a business person goes to, to actually take their product or their company and brand it, um, thinking in terms of some Hollywood, uh, they, again, they will be paralyzed. What I would you 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 need to be able to 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 play the notes of story on your particular instrument and and create a song that will sing uh, to people from your company and and is not you know some somebody else's music and um, uh, I, I need to give them the, the, an understanding of story at the most fundamental level so that they can be free to take their 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 product their service and dramatize it from the from the consumer's point of view if possible um, if I give them a model they're going to imitate that model yeah if I give them a movie they're going to try to bend their company into that movie and it's not going to work if I give them a myth or a legend they're going to try to bend their marketing into that myth or light and it's not going to work and so they they have to understand story the way I teach it as a form into which they're going to put their content and if I if I give them examples from movies or whatever the content is already there it's in the movie do you understand? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So, um, and so I teach them form, and they fill it in with their particular company's content. And, and then they will use the form expressively and freely to do it really, really well for their purposes. And um, uh, look, you have a choice always. Do I copy or do I create? Okay? Yeah. What most people teach is copy this model. Do it like this. What I teach is here's the form, use it to create from your own 
material from your own stuff. Uh -huh. And and people who use that, the way I teach it, my clients are very successful. Well, I must say, because um, I, I took my copywriters to your course as well. Yeah. And they came away with um, just the same amount of, of notes, filling a, a notebook. And I know... I know they've come back to me since and said, Do you know, Brian, I'm going back to these, these same principles and I can use them for a multitude of clients. And it's, you know, so, you know, it's, they've, they've definitely got a lot of value from it. But that's, that's very gratifying to hear because that's exactly the way I want them to think. Yeah. These are principles. This is the form. It should be able, to, you should be able to use this form with one client, another client, any client, by taking their content and applying it to this form. And, and as a result, you get something unique for that client, specific to that client. Um, and uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> it does? Yeah, absolutely. I'm and, thrilled to hear that. And Robert, while I've got you, um, I'd quite like to pick your brain, actually, because um, more and more of our clients are coming to us um, and asking us to help them with uh, telling, a, uh, telling their story. But interestingly enough, not necessarily to, um, to attract prospective customers, but also to attract prospective employees, so to find more talent to join their business. Now, um, there seems to be a war for talent at the moment. It's a big challenge for growing organizations, and it's, you know, it's tough to find the right, the right caliber of people. So what would your approach be to telling a story to attract the right type of person to join your organization? Is it same principles, or you know, is there more opportunities? Or Principles are the same, but you just have to, uh, the, I mean, once you understand the nature of story, the structure of it, uh -huh. one of the key questions you ask, and there are a number of them, but one of them is, of course, is who is the core character? Who is the story about? What is the character at the heart of the story doing in this story? What does this character want? And if you tell a story uh, from a, uh, a prospective um, employee's point of view, if you make a prospective employee or uh, the, the core character and tell it from their point of view, then, um, you know, then, then indeed uh, people will come to you. Uh, a, friend, uh, a friend of mine is the CMO of um, General Electric. Okay. And General Electric has a great ad campaign in the states now. These are the I think they're called the Owen commercials um, that star a core character who has just gone to work for General Electric, mm -hmm. and he's explaining. He's a, he writes code, and he's explaining to his friends what he does at General Electric. And <clears throat> he's a nice sort of nerdy guy, very pleasant, slender. Kind of bookish kind of guy, but very enthusiastic about his work at General Electric. And this this ad is is a branding for GE. The side effect has been that they are getting tremendous numbers of, of applications for people who want to work at GE. Okay, because as it happens, the Owen commercials star an employee. Who loves his work, and he's a he's a you know a, <clears throat> a coder. See, that's really interesting. That because what we're seeing is if you tell if you tell a purposeful story designed to attract employees to a brand, what you're also seeing, almost the flip side of what you've just said there, is 
an uplift in customers, especially if there's a crossover, if, you know, if one complements the other. Uh, and I guess that's what you're saying sort of in, in reverse there. Yeah. Yeah. And if see, I mean, because you see, a, a customer wants to do business with a company whose employees love their work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Employees want to work at a company where they will love their work. Yeah. So the, the, it's just two sides of the same coin. And so if you put out a if you put out a storytelling to attract positive employees, people seeing that go, ah, that's the kind of person who works at that company I want to uh, purchase from them. It's, uh, it's that's it, a very logical way of looking at it. But so what you're saying really is um, with the right content, it should be it should be designed to attract both employees and customers if you get it right, if you get the story it, right. It dramatizes uh, the interior of the company as a positive workplace where people are enthusiastic. Yeah. Uh, that to a customer is very attractive. So wouldn't you, wouldn't you think, um, given, given what we just discussed, that the HR and talent departments of large organizations spent more time talking to the marketing department of those organizations? Because a lot of the time it's not joined up. Well, you see, it used to be, it used to be that people needed jobs so badly that they would, um, they would take the initiative and um, send out applications everywhere, you know, that, uh, and that the employers had all the power. Mm. Now, it's the prospective employees who have all the power. Yeah, spot on. There's only one raw material in this world that matters, and that's brains. <laughs> The rest of it, you can dig out of the ground or grow or whatever, you know. But um, but brains is the only raw material that really matters. And in this age, that has become so clear. Absolutely. I mean, there literally is a war for talent out there in many sectors that we're working in. But uh, if, we, if we flip that round, Robert, um, for students looking to break into an industry or start in a career, or even experienced people looking to progress in their career, What's your advice for shaping personal brand and people telling their story to make them a more attractive candidate? Uh, um, do not portray yourself as an overdog. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, and my best advice is in those kinds of stories, uh, tell a story that implies your story, not ex- but not explicitly. It just by implication. Tell the story about... Uh, the, the, uh, the professor that inspired you when you were at the university to go into the field of study that you're in and um, uh, you, do not, simply put, do not brag. That's, see, that's really tough, especially on a CV or in an interview situation. But what you're saying is you can, you can point out those benefits and... Um... Those those points about yourself, but just don't put yourself at the forefront. Well, you know, the, the, when you when you hand you know when you hand somebody material about yourself, first of all, there's a list of where you went to school, the dates, yeah. etc. What you studied, right? right? Mm-hmm. Those are facts. That's not bragging. That's fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you write an essay about um, yourself and why you you know uh, why you'll be a wonderful employee. And um, I'm telling you that that. Um, uh, the, the fastest way to lose that for that that essay to be tossed aside 
is start talking about how wonderful you are. <laughs> yeah. Instead, you should talk about the company. Talk, you know, the company that you're going to, um, that you, you know, that you submit your materials to, right? Mm -hmm. um, brag about them. <laughs> that I want to work for this company because this, your company, it's got this and that and one thing or another. It's the most exciting, whatever, and the, the, that, and you, and 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 brag about the company, which it says essentially, I've researched you, I know who you are, and I think you're a great company, and I I know what you do, and I I love what you do, and I want to I want to do it with you. That will get people's attention. Yeah, absolutely, and it's not something you see on CVs. Yeah, your enthusiasm for their company—that's the story you tell. Um, and uh, the facts of your of your background uh, speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm, I'm just telling people, don't brag. <laughs> it's um, yeah. There's a lot of people struggling with that right now, and certainly when somebody's putting themselves forward, yeah. Brag, talk about something else, and and um, you know. Uh, and and with sincerity, I mean, just don't you know? Do you want to work for this company? If so, you know what's so wonderful about this company that that you're that you that you're passionate about? And um, um, there's a lot of ways to go at that, but I'm the best. I'm the biggest. You know, the Donald Trump uh, <clears throat> approach uh, turns smart people off. Absolutely. Robert, um, just touching on the um, customer or candidate experience for a second, um, sticking with the sort of that, that recruitment theme, we, we're working with uh, Virgin Media at the moment, and we're looking at improving their customer experience, their candidate experience, because in the past it was so poor that those interviewed that had a poor experience, they were their actual customers, and they were leaving, and it was customer fortune. In terms of all the different unconventional touch points of a potential customer for a brand, if there's a branded experience, I guess there's an opportunity to tell a great a great story. What's some of the more sort of unconventional uh, opportunities for brands to tell stories that that you've you've come across, or what if if there is a touch point that we identify, how do you turn that into a storytelling opportunity? Well. I, I advocate uh, that all brands today uh, find a mission. It's the same sort of thing. I just said, you know, for prospective employees trying to get hired, don't brag. Yep. Okay? Same advice to corporations. Don't brag. Instead, uh, tell us tell us a story about what your corporation is doing to make the world a better place that doesn't sell anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Starbucks has become, you know, almost went out of business <clears throat> and it got it back on its feet because of the mission that it took on to educate its employees and to give its employees benefits. Um, and so the, the story that Starbucks put out into the world was that of an enlightened company um, out to make the world a better place, not to sell coffee, to make the world a better place. And um, um, corporations now are catching on to this. Uh, I have um, a client uh, that uh, manufactures um, sunglasses, mm -hmm. very high, very expensive, six hundred dollar 
uh, sunglasses designed for uh, uh, for either deep sea fishing uh, or skiing, where you're getting sunlight both from off the water and above, okay. or off the snow and above, and um, and they're beautiful sunglasses, and um, uh, and they used to make them out of plastic, but then they realized that they were just adding to the plastic soup in the oceans. And so now they have a mission to eliminate plastic from this world in order to try to save the oceans, which are in serious jeopardy because of the plastic soup that swirls at the center of all five oceans, bigger than than the state of Texas five times over, um, caused by all the cellophane and plastic uh, bags, whatever that's all dissolved in the ocean. So now they make their sunglasses out of a biodegradable material, and they have a mission and um, to to, um, to, um, to save the world from plastic. They make videos. They send um, filmmaking teams around the world uh, uh, documenting <clears throat> the mission to stop the influx of plastic into the environment. Uh, and as a result, and they, t- they show these videos at university campuses and uh, where uh, there are young people who, um, who like to ski and who go who fish and whatnot. And so they know their market. They know where to find these people. And they are showing these people their mission. As a result, their sunglasses sales are sky high. And, um, and people realize that by supporting this company, they're doing something good for the environment. Mm-hmm. That is that is marketing that is so, you can't put a dollar on that's so valuable to it's, have this yeah. positive brand. It's more than marketing, though, isn't it? You know, because it's branding. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and it's standing for something that will inspire and I guess you know, in, in a lot of cases, surprise an audience into taking action and changing their opinion and then their behaviors. And I mean, your your definition of branding is interesting, isn't it? I think I think you said something like um, the pursuit of creating empathy for a corporate uh, entity, right? Um, and, and what you just described there is a, a fabulous example of that. If I had, the, you know, you want people sitting out there thinking, if I had the wherewithal, the power, the money that this company has, I would do the same thing. I would save the environment. I would I would make a positive contribution to the world, and so that allows them to identify with the brand. This brand improves my life and improves the lives of other human beings. If if when when a brand can cross cross that threshold and get people to stop thinking of the brand as some huge, powerful mega corporation and begin to see the brand as a as a positive citizen in the world, then the, down the line, whatever services or products that company um, uh, uh, produces will be viewed favorably by the purchaser. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, and I mean, look at the internet now, man. If you, if you don't provide service, if you don't have a positive brand, they rate you. The consumer rates you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Quite harshly sometimes as well, right? You're half a star. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just like we were saying that the, you know, the power is transferring to the employees. Yep. Talented workers can choose. Mm-hmm. Same, the power is 
transferring to the customers. The customers can choose and uh, they are taking the time to Google and figure out with whom they want to do business. But if you get it right, Robert, they will also um, repay, the, you know, give, reward that with positive stories that you don't ask them to tell, but they will tell stories to their friends and their family and, and you know. Well, part, and, yes, indeed. Part of, my, uh, part of my lecture, part of my teaching in Storynomics is how to create word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And word of mouth is a story that not that you tell, but that the consumer tells. Uh-huh. I remember you going through it. Consumer. Brilliant. Brilliant. And it's memorable and it sticks. And they can tell a positive story or a negative story. <laughs> you have to create an experience that causes people to tell a positive story. So you have to know the story you want them to tell in advance, figure that out, and then figure out how can I create an experience in the consumer that will cause them to go home and tell the story that you want told. It's that word experience again, you know, it keeps coming up and that's um, that's that's the trick that a lot of brands are missing, I think. Robert, we've um, we've run out of time and you know I've still got lots of questions for you. Well, you so, know, the, the answers to those questions are to be found May 3rd in London. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, I hope your listeners uh, take advantage of that. I love teaching the story to business people. I think um, they uh, they they need it, and um, and if they use it well, it, it's a it's a big step up in their success. Yeah, well, I can genuinely, wholeheartedly recommend this course because obviously, you know, I'm in the business uh, of content marketing myself, and I got a hell of a lot out of it, and so did our copywriters. So tell us, uh, just before you go, tell us exactly where people need to go to, to register, Robert, just so it's absolutely clear. Sure. Just go online to McKee Story. That's one word, M-C-K-E-E-S-T-O-R-Y, McKeeStory.com. Brilliant, brilliant. It's my website. You'll see all the events there. Click on Storynomics uh, London or New York. And um, you'll get the dates and the, you know everything you need, and you can register right there. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, um, I've got lots of questions, and this is the second time on. Uh, maybe maybe we'll have you on again, Robert, if we're lucky enough. Um, but that's been a fantastic um, an hour. Wow, that's flown over. So thanks thanks once again, and uh, I'll probably see you in London. I'll, I'll probably come along to that course as well myself. Absolutely, I, I always look forward to it. We'll, uh, we'll sit down and have a drink. Brilliant. I look forward to it. Thanks again, Robert. That's it, uh, guys. Uh, Hopefully, uh, well, I'm sure you've enjoyed that. Uh, Register for that course. Uh, If uh, if you can fit that in, I highly highly recommend it. Uh, And I'll, uh, I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks again. Cheers. So that's it for another week. But before you go, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And for a chance to win a copy of our best-selling book, Getting Goosebumps, simply subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Or tweet us your thoughts using hashtag getting goosebumps. Would you like to pick the next guest? Let me know who you'd love to hear on the show by emailing me at brian at ph-creative.com.